God bless you, God bless you, and please be seated in God's presence. It is a great honor and a privilege to start the year with you. And and be able to contribute to what God is speaking to you in this year and in the years ahead. And so we believe that you're definitely going to gain momentum and you're going to do exploits for God because everything is set for you to succeed in life. Amen. I want to thank your pastor, Pastor Kinsley Okonkwo. Uh, for the invitation and uh, for allowing us to come and share uh, the word of God with the people that God has placed under your care. And we trust that what we say today will fit into what God uh, is speaking to you uh, to tell the congregation. Amen. Well, uh, I came with a, a couple of our pastors who are here, I would want them to wave at the beautiful people here. That is my son-in-law, who is uh, married to my second daughter, and they are both pastors, uh, pastor one of our churches. And we have some of our emerging church leaders uh, whom I travel with quite often uh, to also join us here. And they pastor many, uh, quite some huge churches themselves, and uh, they, they join us here. It's a privilege for us to be here with you. Now, anytime I go to preach in a place for the first time, I try to get them to understand how I minister so they can flow with me. Uh, my ministry is that of a teacher. And so I take my time to teach. I am not in a hurry to make you happy. And I'm not in a hurry to get you to scream. And I'm not in a hurry to make you shout. I am going to take my time to teach. But by the time we finish, God will bless you. So, if I take my time, uh, just flow with me. I know where I'm going, and we will get there nicely. So, um, the word of God is powerful by itself. The word of God does not need help from us. It is powerful by itself. And the teaching of the word releases the power of God. And it's important that our faith has a foundation. And the foundation must be solid. And the foundation must be God's word. So I'm going to teach today on a subject which is very foundational to our Christian faith. It is something we talk about and sing about and sometimes even pray about, but we sometimes don't understand what it means. And it is the cross of Jesus Christ. So I'm speaking tonight on the subject, the power of the cross. The power of the cross. Let's say that together. The power. Say it one more time. The power of the cross. All right. Now, the cross has become the symbol of Christianity. We see it on top of churches. We see it in church buildings. We see it sometimes as jewelry. People wear the cross around their necks 
in their ears. Since I came to this auditorium, I was looking around to look for a cross. Pastor Kinsley, I don't know where your cross is. <laughs> but most churches will have a cross either as a painting or something at the back of a Bible. But you would always see a cross somewhere that Christianity is mentioned. But the cross was not intended to be a symbol of faith. It was designed as a punishment for execution. In the time of Jesus, it was the most painful and shameful way to kill somebody. The Romans used the cross to silence their opponents and intimidate their enemies. And death by the cross was very, very horrible. So how did such a horrible weapon of death become the symbol of Christianity? It's almost like using a machine gun in our day to day as a symbol of Christianity or of a religion. Who would want to worship in a church where the symbol is an AK-47? So, it was not designed to be a symbol of faith. So, how come the cross is now a symbol of faith? Because one day, a Jewish rabbi, a young Jewish rabbi, was nailed to a cross. And after that, young man was nailed to a cross, everything about the cross changed. And we're going to learn about the power behind that cross. And I can guarantee you by the time I'm through, you would operate at a level of faith you have never operated in. Because something about this word will transform your Christian life forever. My opening text is from John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 17 to 20. John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 17 to 20. And it reads, and he, he there means Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. When many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Latin. Jesus carried his cross to a place called Golgotha, or better known as Calvary, to be crucified. And uh, in that place, he was crucified. The crucifixion was not invented by the Romans. It was invented by the Phoenicians several hundred years earlier. They were the first people to use the cross to execute people. But the Romans perfected it and made it a weapon of mass destruction. They would sometimes crucify people over miles along a main road. And you would find crosses and people nailed to the cross. So much so that everybody was afraid to die on the cross. The cross 
represents many things to many people. But we can agree on four that are represented, especially for us Christians. The cross means, first of all, sacrifice, because Jesus gave up his glory for it. Secondly, the cross means shame, because Jesus was publicly humiliated on it. The cross means suffering, because Jesus suffered pain and death on it. And the cross means salvation, because Jesus purchased our redemption on it. In the Roman Empire, death on the cross was scandalous. It, it, it was not something that anybody had anything good to say about. If you had a relative who had been killed by on a cross, it brought shame to your family. Because the death on the cross was done publicly to humiliate the person. And to give the person a very long, painful death. It was not designed to kill you instantly. The Romans had ways of killing people decently. If you were a Roman soldier and you needed to be executed, they would not nail you to a cross. They would, they would stab your neck and cut an artery near your neck here and blood would, go, uh, would come out and, and, and you would bleed to death. Or you would be stabbed in your stomach or your wrist would be cut off, uh, or, or, or not the wrist cut off, but the, the veins in your wrist cut off, and you bleed to death. And if they wanted you to go quickly, they would behead you. As bad as beheading was, death by the cross was worse. Because when a person died on the cross... It was not designed to kill him instantly. It was, it is designed to humiliate the person over a long period of time. And this is an account of the times of how a person was crucified. It says the victim was often flogged and paraded to the site of execution, bearing around the neck a wooden placard Proclaiming the crime. So if you stole a goat, they will write on a placard, goat thief. And so everybody will read your, your crime. If you are an adulterer, it will be written. Whatever you have done will be written. Your sin is paraded for everybody whilst you are carrying the cross. Jesus' crime was written around his neck. And it was king of the Jews. Now, that doesn't sound like a crime now, but that was his crime. And that's why the Jews went to Pilate and said, no, 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 you have to change it. You have to say, he said he was king of the Jews. Pilate says, well, what is written is written. Crime, king of the Jews. The condemned person also carried a crossbar to the place of execution where the upright stake was already in place. And because deterrence was the primary objective, the cross was always erected in a public place. The prisoner was stripped naked, totally naked, and affixed to the crossbar with nails through the forearms or with ropes. In the, in the case of Jesus, it was nails, not ropes. The crossbar was then raised and attached to the upright stake. And the victim's feet were tied or nailed to the stake. The weight of the hanging body made breathing difficult. And death came by gradual suffocation. Usually after a few hours. To prolong the death and thus increase the agony... A small wooden block was sometimes attached to the stake beneath the buttocks or feet to provide some comfort for the body. Then death came only after several days and resulted from the 
cumulative impact of thirst, hunger, exhaustion, exposure, and the traumatic effects of the scourging. So what it's saying is, if a person was just crucified normally, they would die in a few hours. But the Romans didn't want you to die quickly. So they will give you some support so that your pain will be prolonged. And you will be there crying, you'll be thirsty, you'll mess up yourself on the cross, uh, birds will be pecking on you, people will watch you and insult you, people will throw stones at you, you were a public humiliation. And so the Romans would do that to their victims. That was the death Jesus chose. Jesus knew about the cross. As a Jew living under Roman domination, he had seen many people crucified. And he himself knew about the cross. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 to 19, It says, now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, behold, we are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Matthew 26, 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to the disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse is where he made those popular statements for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John chapter 12, verse 32, 33. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And he said this, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus knew how he was going to die. And of all the possible deaths that he could die, this was the one he chose. Jesus knew he would be crucified. He knew he would die on a tree. He knew he would be killed publicly. He knew his death would draw people to him. And his death would give life. So, of all the deaths Jesus could die, why this one? He could have died of malaria. Please get to come to Nigeria and get bitten by some mosquitoes and go back, and he'll be fine and die of malaria. He could he could have died of diarrhea, he could have died of so many diseases could have killed him. He could have been beheaded, he could have been stabbed, a horse could have run on him, he could have been beaten to death. All these possible deaths were there, but he chose one particular death. And determine this is how I will die. And it was the most horrible death available at that time. It's almost like somebody says, if you want to die, choose how you will die. I know most of you say I want to be about 120. And when I'm 120, I have all my children, my children's children, my children's children, children, everybody gathered around me. And I tell them, goodbye, I'm going to heaven. And I go, I mean, that will be what you will choose, isn't it? Oh, I'll see you in the next life. We'll we'll all meet in heaven. Whoo, nicely. Can you imagine somebody in this day and age, you tell them, What kind of death do you want to die? He says, you know, I want people to arrest me in the streets of Lagos. I want them to beat me up with stones and stone me up. And after that, put a a, a tire, a a lorry tire around me, set fire on it, and let me burn. That's how I want to die. That's the most horrible death in our time. 
It's almost like that's what Jesus chose. I want to die the death on the cross. That's my choice. It was not the choice of the Jews. It was not the choice of the Romans. It was the choice of Jesus. And can you imagine every time Jesus walked the streets preaching, he would see somebody on a cross crying and people mocking him and he would know a few years from now I'm going to be one of them. He knew it. So why the cross? First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 The Apostle Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 22. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. To the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ crucified. That's what Paul says we preach. We preach Christ crucified. You know one of the reasons why I know Christianity is not man-made? Do you know why? Because if you were choosing a message to preach to people about your Savior, you would not attach crucifixion to him. Paul says we preach Christ crucified. Because if they wanted to invent a religion, they would have invented a very nice story, not a horrible one. And because that story, the Bible says, to the Greeks, it is foolishness. Now remember, the Greeks were the powerful people in the Roman Empire. They were the most civilized And if you have studied Greek mythology, they always have heroes. Hercules. Achilles. No, somebody. And and, and they're always all powerful people. So if you want to go and convince a Greek person that you have a religion which is superior to his, you don't go and tell him that the guy that you say you worship was crucified. It's almost like telling somebody, you know, we have a savior and and he, he was stoned to death in the streets of Lagos and burnt with Lori Ty and he's my savior. People are going to look at you and say, are you crazy? Come with a better story. So, to the Greeks, they couldn't understand why the savior of the world would be defeated on the cross. It didn't make sense. And then to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. Why? Because to the Jews, a person who dies by crucifixion on a tree is cursed. So if you are a Christian and you want to convince the Jews and the Greeks, crucifixion would not be what you would choose. They had to preach crucifixion because that was the truth. They had no other story but to say Jesus and him crucified. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. A Jew cannot believe that God is cursed. A redeemer is cursed. A savior is cursed. The Greeks cannot believe that a redeemer dies a horrible death. To the Greeks and to the Jews, crucifixion didn't make sense. But the apostle says, yet we preach Christ crucified. And he calls that the power of God and the wisdom of God. So what changed the cross? Something happened on the cross. And now I'm getting closer to my message. Something happened on the cross. If you were there that day, 
and you saw what was happening, if you didn't know who Jesus was, you say, well, another thief has been nailed by the Romans. If you knew who he was, you say, well, this guy was out there making a lot of noise. Finally, look at his end. He's on the cross. There was nothing noble about it. There's nothing more powerful about it. There's nothing great about it. If you were just watching it, you you just oh what what a sad way for a young man to die. But death on the cross had already been prophesied for Jesus, and so we're going to look back in order to look forward. Psalm twenty two is a very powerful psalm. Psalm 22 is part of a trilogy of Psalms, three Psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. Psalm 22 is a suffering savior, Psalm 23 is a shepherd, Psalm 22 is a sovereign savior. Lift up your heads, all ye gates. But Psalm 22 starts with these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? How many of you remember these words? How many of you remember that? You remember Jesus spoke these words. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He was not just talking about what he was going through then. He was quoting the fulfillment of scripture. Because the psalmist had determined That these words are the words to speak on the cross. And on the cross, he didn't say, Hey, I'm suffering, oh, hey, I'm suffering, oh. If he was a Nigerian, that's what he would have said. I'm suffering, oh, I'm suffering. (laughs) Even the words he used on the cross had been written for him. So on the cross, in order to fulfill scripture... He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, how do we know it was about him? Well, the same Psalm 22 from verse 14. The person who says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is still talking in verse 14. He says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shed. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lost. Exactly what was going to happen had already been declared in Psalm 22. That this man, who is the Redeemer, has to die this particular death. He will be forsaken. His hands will be nailed. His feet will be nailed. His bones will be showing on his ribs. You can almost count his bones. His heart will fail him. His clothing will be taken away from him. And they will cast lots for him. In verse 26, it tells us what will happen if this happens. It says, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. In other words, if he does these things, then those who are poor will be satisfied. In other words, something he does on the cross will ensure that people who are poor will no longer be poor. And those who seek him will praise the Lord. Those who seek him will praise God and their heart will live forever. In other words, they will have eternal life. And so on and so forth. So, the cross was chosen 
by Jesus. To be the way he will die. It will be the way by which new life will come to us. Now you would never fully appreciate the power of the cross until you come to the New Testament where we read in the book of Galatians. Galatians. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he become redeemers from the curse of the law? Because he chose the death that would be equivalent to cancel out the curse of the law. He became a curse that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. When Jesus chose the cross, he understood what it was going to kill. He paid a high price for the cure of the curse of the law so that the blessing will come upon you. So it will be a total insult to Jesus. After he has redeemed us from the curse of the law, for us to go back to the curse of the law and live under the curse of the law. Because the price that was paid for our redemption from the curse of the law was a very painful price. The curse of the law prescribes certain things that will happen to people who disobey God. It affected their health. It affected their wealth. It affected their relationships. It affected everything about them. That was the curse of the law. The curse of the law says if you disobey God, then you are under a curse. If your ancestors disobeyed God, you were under a curse. It is that curse of the law that Jesus came to redeem us from. And when he redeems us from the curse of the law, he sets us free and gives us a new life. Now, in John chapter 3, Verse 14 and 15, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the time when the children of Israel, in the book of Numbers chapter 21, were on their journey and they disobeyed God. And as they, when they disobeyed God, serpents came to bite them. Serpents, snakes came to bite them and thousands of them died. Moses went to God and said, God, how do we, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with these serpents? And, and God said to Moses, you're going to make an image of the serpent and you will put it on a tree. And when a serpent bites somebody, the people must look at the serpent 
on the tree, which has been defeated on the tree. And when they look at the serpent on the tree, they will be delivered. They will be healed. Now, it didn't say that when a serpent bites you, run after the serpent. He said, when a serpent bites you, look at the crucified serpent. And when you do that, I will deliver you. And so, Jesus Christ himself said, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so I will also be lifted up. And whosoever looks to me will have life. So what does that mean? It means that when the devil comes after you, every temptation in you would say, run after the devil. Because when a snake bites you, your natural instinct is pick a stick, run after the snake, and try to kill it yourself. But the scripture says, when the snake bites you, don't run after the snake. Look up to the one who is crucified, and he would deal with the snake that bit you. The problem with Christianity, we have grown with a Christianity that runs after the devil and does not look up to Christ. So when somebody feels a demonic attack, he's going to have meetings fighting demons. But the scriptural process is when the devil attacks you, you don't find a way to fight the devil. You look to the one who has been lifted up. And when you look to the one who has been lifted up, he will deliver you from the one who is pursuing you. The challenge with a lot of African Christianity, a lot of African Christianity is devil-focused. I'm an African too. I understand all of us. Devil-focused. Constantly running after the devil. Demons. If, you are have, if we have a prayer meeting right now, we say, Let, lift our hands and thank God for what he's done in our lives and the power of the cross. Boring service. But if you say, let us come against the devil. Witches and wizards. Let us deal with them. We will get into intense prayer with full dramatization of what we are supposedly doing in the spirit so people didn't they are catching demons but the reason why Jesus died on that cross was crucified endured such pain is because you had an enemy that was against you and he was a vile enemy. He was a dirty enemy. And Jesus had to die the dirtiest death to cancel him out. And after he cancels him out, all that Jesus says is, look to me. And when you look to me, you will live. For every Christian, you have to have the discipline to look to Jesus. Even though what is running after you is painful, it is grievous, it, 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 it is frightening, you have to have the discipline to look to Jesus. And when you look to him, there is Redemption. There is salvation. There is new life. Because Christ has redeemed us. Everybody say redeemed us. It didn't say Christ will redeem us. Or Christ can redeem us. Or Christ may redeem us. Or Christ will redeem us if we fast. Or Christ will redeem us if we pray. Or Christ will redeem us if your prayer is powerful. The cross is powerful by itself. 
and you cannot add to the power of the cross. All you need to do is to believe in the power of the cross. No amount of prayer gymnastics will make the cross more powerful. If you say, in the name of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, it doesn't change anything. Because the power... The power is not in the volume of your voice. Neither is it in whether it is more bassy or more trebly. Because if if volume of voice could deal with devils, then the ladies are disadvantaged. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. How how are you going to deal with the devil? In the name of Jesus. It has nothing to do with the volume of your voice. As a matter of fact, if you say, in the name of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, is the same. None of it has any effect on the cross. The cross by itself is powerful. And the one who makes the cross powerful is Christ. He bore the most shameful death. So that you will have no shame. When you look to the one who is on the cross. Who defeated Satan on the cross. No shame will befall you. What about the witches of your father's house? The witches of your mother's house. They have a democratic right to be witches. That's their choice. I can't change them. I can't force them. But when that man died on the cross, he gave me immunity from every attack, not of witches who are very low demonic forces, but from Satan himself. Because the Bible says that when he did that, according to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, he bruised the head of the serpent. And the reason why he suffered, because the serpent bruised his heel. His heel was bruised, but his head of the serpent was crushed. I don't know about you, if somebody hits your heel and you crush his head, who has suffered the most? Satan's head is crushed. He still has a tail. He's wagging his tail. But the head is crushed. The power to destroy you is crushed. Why? Because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for you. The reason why we can say we are gaining momentum... It's not because we have energy by ourselves to gain momentum. It's not because we can run faster than anything. The reason we're going to gain momentum is because 2,000 years ago, somebody died the most painful death and took your greatest enemy and crushed him so that today you can walk in victory. And the scripture says when he does that, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. I don't know about you, but you are about to eat in 2020 and you will be satisfied. You are about to eat and be satisfied. No wonder when he came, the first group he addressed was the preaching of the gospel to the poor. That they will eat and be satisfied. God is about to satisfy you. You are about to break forth on every side. You are about to prosper in a way you have never seen before. You are about to see divine favor like never before. Jesus Christ 
on the cross says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is the only time in scripture that he called his father God. Throughout the New Testament, he called him my father, my father, my father, my father. But on this day, he said, my God. Because the father turned his face from the son who is carrying the sin of the world. Why did he do it? So that he would turn his face towards you after he has been redeemed from the curse of the law. The face of the father is turned towards you. You will never be rejected by God. You can never be rejected by God. Because every time there is rejection, the father has to look at the cross. And in the cross, there is acceptance. God will accept you. In the work he did on the cross was healing for our sicknesses. Sickness and disease was crushed on the cross of Jesus. So tonight you receive healing in your body. No matter the pain, no matter the severity of it, no matter the manifestation of it, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. What does that mean? Who are Gentiles? Non-Jews. I am a Gentile, you are a Gentile. By law, we are not entitled to blessing because our ancestors were idol worshippers. They brought curse to us. But because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse of our ancestors have no power over us. I don't know what your grandfather did or what your great-grandfather did, but the cross of Jesus Christ separates you from every curse in your family. He paid the ultimate price for our redemption. The power of the cross. Whenever I see a cross, I didn't really like, pastor, I didn't like crosses in churches. For many years I said, oh, that's just a religious symbol. But now I am a lover of crosses. You know, so I'm, I'm... thinking of going to erect a very big cross in Accra, Ghana. I want everywhere when people are driving past to lift up their eyes and look to the cross because he says when he is lifted up he will draw all men unto him. There is power in the cross because of Jesus who died on the cross. In the place of a curse, there is blessing. In the case of defeat, there is abundance, there is victory. In the place where we had nothing, we have all things. I have just a few minutes. And for us to understand fully the curse of the Lord, just sit down. To understand the curse of the law. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. From verse 26 to 29. It says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from... The way which I command you today to go after other gods. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess. That you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Now I want to explain this and then I'll explain to you what is the curse of the law and the blessing. And then we will close. When God redeemed Israel from Egypt. He took them to a place called Mount Sinai. How many of you remember that? And on Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with them, which is called the Old Covenant. Now, he told them, when you go to the promised land, 
I'm going to enter another covenant with you. I'm going to renew the covenant with you. But it will not be on Mount Sinai. It's going to be on two mountains. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. I want you to follow this carefully. So, what God is saying is, these two mountains are going to signify the renewed covenant. And so, he takes them to the to the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 27 from verse 11. And Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, Benjamin, all these shall stand and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. Reuben, God, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, and the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the children of Israel. So, what he's saying is, when you get to the promised land, there are two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Six tribes will be on Mount Gerizim. Another six on Mount Ebal. So, there are two mountains. There is a valley in the middle of the mountain. And in the middle are the Levites. And the Levites are going to pronounce curses. And when they say curses, those on Mount Ebal will say amen. And when he says blessings, those on Mount Gerizim will say amen. Now, this is what the Bible calls the curse of the law. So I'm going to read to you what it is, which is the curse of the law that Christ has redeemed you from. Are, are you following me? All right. So let's, let's look at what he says. Verse 15. Curse is he who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the works of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. In other words, anybody who brings an idol to the family, not only curses himself, but curses the whole family. Now, there are people who believe that because their forefathers worship idols, that's why they are cursed. That is the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed you from it. So the first is idolatry and its effects. And then verse 16. Curse is he who treats his father or his mother with contempt and all the people shall say amen. Curse is he who moves his neighbor's landmark and all the people shall say amen. Curse is he who makes the blind go wander off the road and all the people shall say amen. Curse is the one who perverts justice due to the stranger and the fatherless and the widow and all the people shall say amen. Curse is he who lies with his father's wife for whatever reason, I don't know. Because he has covered his father's bed and all the people shall say, Amen. Curse is he who lies with any kind of animal. What problem is that? And all the people shall say, Amen. Curse is he who lies with his sister. Oh Lord have mercy. The daughter of his father, daughter of his mother, all the people shall say, Amen. Curse is he who lies with his mother-in-law. Please, please, please. And all the people shall say, Amen. Curse is you who attacks his neighbor secretly. All the people shall say, Amen. Curse is you who takes a bribe, Nigeria. And, <laughs> and all the people shall say, Amen. <laughs> now, it says that if you do any of these things, you are under a curse. And the thing about the curse is it's not individual. You see, curses in the Old Testament is not personal. That is why Achan will go and mess up and his whole family. So, this is when somebody in your family, your, your great-grandfather was a bad, corrupt judge. Took bribes and, and jailed people wrongly. It brings a curse. So, naturally, you should be cursed. And all the people shall say, Amen. And then it says, for the avoidance of doubt. Curse is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law and all the people shall say amen. This is what I call an omnibus law. It covers everybody. In other words, this is the curse. Each one of us has somebody in our family that has fallen short of these. It may be your father, it may be your mother, it may be your brother, it may be an uncle, it, it may be yourself. But when Jesus died on the cross, the curse 
that comes because of this, he redeemed us from it. This is what the Bible calls the curse of the law. Now, this is the crime. Now we have to see what the punishment is. Because it's a curse this, curse this, curse this. So this is the crime. If you go to court, they'll tell you, this is the crime, you are guilty, uh, and then they'll sentence you. So now we read the sentence. Chapter 28, verse 15. This is the sentence. And it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. When it says something will come upon you and overtake you, it means it is with you and then it is waiting for you too. So the curse is with you and it says, no, no, I'm, I'm still ahead of you. So it is with you and ahead of you. All these curses shall be upon you and overtake you. Keza shall you be in the city, Keza shall you be in the country. Whether you live in the village or go to America, you are cursed. Keza shall be your basket, your kneading bowl. Keza shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your land, increase of your cattle. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you cursing, confusion, rebuke in all that you set your hand to do. Until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly. Because of the wickedness of your doings, the Lord will make the plague to cling to you until he has consumed you from the land. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. Your heavens over your head shall be bronze. The earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall counter and it continues and continues. When Jesus chose the cross, he had this in mind. That is why he was not beheaded. That is why he didn't die a neat death. But he died this one because he knows somewhere down the line, someone who believes in me will one day mess up. Somebody who believes in me, his uncle will mess up. Somebody will one day go and steal, although he's born again. Somebody will one day do something terrible. And they will think their lives are finished. For their sake. For their sake. He says, I'm going to die the most shameful death in the whole of Rome. For people to mock me and laugh at me and pass by and insult me. So that my descendants... Those who believe in me will not suffer the consequences on Mount Ebal. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. I'm not here to give you permission to sin. But because people don't need permission to sin, they take permission by themselves. I'm not giving you permission to sin. What I'm telling you is there is nothing you would do that will be so much under a curse that cannot be redeemed by Jesus. Everything you do is redeemable by the cross of Jesus Christ. He's our redeemer. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. The blessing of the Abraham says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. You don't need to curse those who curse you. Just God says, I'll do it. It shouldn't be part of your prayer topic. It is God's prayer topic. He says, I'll take care of that. Because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He will bless you wherever you go. I came here just to announce to you. Through the power of the cross. Every curse that clung on you in 2019. And pursued you. Through your ignorance. Even into the new year. Is broken. Everything from generations 
ancestral curses. The curse of your father will not pursue you. What killed your father will not kill you. What killed your mother will not kill you. What brought your father down will not bring you down. What brought your mother down will not bring you down. What your your family has never achieved you will achieve. Because Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. And listen to me. When the enemy comes against you, when Satan comes against you, when somebody says, oh, I saw a dream of you and the devil was running after you. Don't stop and run after the devil. When somebody says, I saw a dream and you were in a coffin, don't go and bind death. Look to Jesus. Just say, thank you, Jesus, my Redeemer, who has redeemed me from premature death. Even if somebody is a prophet and gives you a prophet and says something negative about you, just look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. For your sake, he was humiliated. Look to him. Somebody says, I saw you. I saw a dream. And your whole house was burnt. Look to Jesus. The problem with Christians, we are running after serpents. We are not looking to the cross. Jesus says, and when I am lifted up. When he is lifted, he was lifted up 2,000 years ago. Just look to him. He's your redeemer. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I cause the efficacy and the effectiveness and the sufficiency of the accomplished work of the cross to be manifested in your body, to be manifested in your life. When the pastor says the theme for this year is all things are ready. I said that is the best news you can ever hear. You know why all things are ready? Because 2,000 years ago on that cross, he made all things ready. He made all things ready. He knew you would come along and he made all things ready. Your prosperity is ready. Your health is ready. Your abundance is ready. Your victory is ready. You are going up and you are not coming down. All things are ready. And when somebody tells you all things are ready, you don't beg for more. You don't go to a home where they have set a banquet of food and you go and say, can I have some food? When all things are ready, all you do is eat, partake, and this year you will eat. The poor shall eat. You will partake. You will receive in the name of Jesus. The days of struggling with God for breakthrough are over. Because all things are ready. The table is set. The money is here. The healing is here. All you need to do is take. And you take it by faith. As you begin this, these days of seeking God's face and gaining momentum, may the power of the cross manifest your blessing. Every day for this week will be a miracle day. You will come and eat and enjoy and receive the blessing of the Lord. Just lift up your hands to God.
And I want you to pray. And just say, in the name of Jesus. Say with me, say, in the name of Jesus. I separate myself. I separate my family. I separate my property. From every curse of the law. By knowledge. And by wisdom. Of what Christ has accomplished for me. I declare today. Freedom. 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 In Jesus name. Give God a mighty shout in this place. We have not come to Mount Ebal. We have come to Mount Gerizim. Where there is blessing. And because Christ made it possible. And that's why the apostle says. To the Jews is a stumbling block. To the Greeks it is foolishness. But we preach Christ. Crucified. The power of God. And the wisdom of God. This year. May these two virtues of the crucifixion be manifest. The power and the wisdom in your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord praise, Pastor. We know you've been blessed by this message. To order a copy of this message or any of our messages, you can call us on 080-777-14411 or 080-777-14412 or you can visit our website on www.davidschristiancenter.org David's Christian Center Home of Victorious People